One of the great joys I had uh, years ago uh, when our youngest son, Keaton, uh, was much smaller, he and I loved to wrestle together. Some of you know the, the joy that that could be when kids were young. But something changed, uh, and that is he started to grow. And as he grew, my wrestling matches with him became less and less enjoyable. And then he grew even a little bit more. And it dawned on me one day that this is not nearly as much fun as it used to be. In fact, I find that I keep getting hurt by this guy. And then he still grew more and more. Now, I can't think of anything that would be less enjoyable than to wrestle my 18-year-old at all. It hurts too much and he's too big. The problem is, I'm no match for him. He's too strong. He's too big. My only hope is that he loses interest in the wrestling match. This morning, we're going to look at our spiritual battles that we face as believers. And what I hope we'll see this morning is that with Jesus, Satan is about like me trying to wrestle a strong 18-year-old boy. He's got no shot against our Savior. So now... We come to the last petition of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We have seen over these last few weeks that these words of prayer were given from Jesus to us. It is our model as his followers as we live by faith in him. Uh, If you consider this prayer in its entirety of all of Jesus' ministry to us, we know that Jesus' passion was for us, for his people, to have our relationship with his Father restored to what it should be. That's what Jesus was always after, what he's still after, that he cares for us. He wants our faith in him to thrive. He wants us to embrace his Father as our Father, that he is intimate, that he is loving, that he's strong. He wants us to know that God is great and that his kingdom is real and powerful and that his will is good. He wants, to trust, he wants us to trust him for all of our needs, to accept his provision for us. He wants us to see how great our sin was so that we will receive his great forgiveness and then do the impossible, and that is to forgive others. You see, these requests are not arbitrary, but rather they flow From Jesus to us in order. These are exactly what we need. But if you think about it, why do we need these particular things? What is it the heart is behind Jesus that he gives them to us? What is it that Jesus is after? What is it that Jesus wants? I think he wants us to enjoy all that he has made possible for us to have in him. He wants us to enjoy the life that he has purchased. He wants us to enjoy the life of faith in him. Thus, this fact brings us to the final petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As I've been praying through this passage the last week or so, I believe what the Lord taught us to pray is essentially something like this. I want you to thrive in your faith. I want you to thrive in all of your callings, in your life, in your work, in your homes. I care for you so deeply. I want you to grow. I want you to mature. I want you to serve. And I want you to enjoy me. I think that's what Jesus is saying. So it only makes sense that this final petition that we are taught to pray deals with the one thing that could destroy everything else. 
the one thing that could rob us of our joy in Christ and our purpose on earth. The one thing which could take our minds, take our hearts, even take our lives away from him and lead us toward a path that he does not want us to have. And that is we're to pray that God leads us away from temptation and keep the evil one far from us. Now, folks, this is a serious sermon. I know they're all serious, but this one is, this one is unique in the sense of I'm, I, I struggle to think that sometimes we know how to handle spiritual warfare. In each of these sermons during this Lord's Prayer series, I've struggled with being able to include all that needs to be included in each of these petitions. This morning, though, I feel the opposite. I fear that I'm going to say too much. I simply want to convince you, because I think that's exactly what Jesus wants, is to convince us that his love for us is so great that we are to pray to him about every part of our lives to keep the evil one far from us. He wants us to pray because we are weak and because he is strong, and he wants us to see that strength. So, as we look at this sermon this morning, if we're going to enjoy this life that he has for us, from these passages, I want to offer three three quick points for us this morning. First, we need to respect the power of our enemy. Respect the power of the enemy. Secondly, we need to recognize the plans of our enemy. And then lastly, to receive the victory of our Savior. So respect the power, recognize the plans, and lastly, receive the victory. And here is my prayer for us today and throughout this week. I pray we will embrace our own spiritual weakness so that we will enjoy Jesus's strength. All right, first, let's consider our enemy's power and why it's worthy of our respect. And I use this word respect here simply to highlight the attention this topic deserves. Jesus would not instruct us to pray for this very thing if the situation were not serious. If it is one of these six and the final one at that, it must be important. Let's deal with the two dominant terms here in the request. Temptation and evil. First, temptation. I suspect we all have a general idea of what this word means, but there is a twist with it. Temptation is a test. It's an experience. It's an experience that is hard. It's something that's difficult. The twist here is that the same Greek word for temptation is also the word that we use for trials. Yet in Scripture, we see that we are called to embrace trials as we experience that which will mature us. So the interpretation of this passage is dependent upon from whom this test is coming. Where's the origin of the test? Is it from God? Or is it from Satan? A trial, again, is something that comes from the Lord and we embrace. But a temptation cannot come from God because nothing evil comes from him. Seeing then that Jesus is instructing us to pray that we will not be led into this experience reveals this is from our enemy. And this reveals that Satan and his demonic activity is still active for us now. It's still a force. I hope you understand that. I hope you believe that. Now, the second term is evil. That which we hope to be delivered from. 
The definition of evil means something like this. It is the one who delights in mischief and tragedy. Mischief and tragedy. That is, Satan is the author of mischief and he loves when things end in tragedy. That's what he is about. The complete opposite of our Lord. So Jesus wants us to ask his Father to help us against our temptations because when evil is present, it always ends tragically. It always ends badly. Destruction is the end point. That is the trajectory of all who are opposed to the Father's kingdom. Think again just of the Lord's prayer, of this reality. Here's how this works. Satan is opposed this morning to you believing that God is a loving father. Satan is opposed to you this morning believing that God is holy. Satan is opposed to you this morning trusting that God's kingdom is powerful and he can do all things. Satan's opposed this morning to you accepting that God's will, whatever it is, is good and pleasing and perfect. God is opposed to you this morning asking him for your daily necessary common provision. And God is opposed to you this morning receiving his forgiveness And he certainly doesn't want you to forgive anyone else. You see how this works? Because when we're not engaged in these things, we will not be abiding with our Savior. And we'll be totally disconnected to God's power and his love. That's the trajectory of things that move in the wrong direction. So, we must respect this power. The power the devil possesses is to attempt to move your mind, to move your heart, to move your life away from a life of faith. And he's good at it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. We can't really talk about this topic without looking at Ephesians chapter 6. Hear these words from the Apostle Paul dealing with this reality of of spiritual attack. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a world going on that we do not see, but it is real, and we must respect its power. The reality of evil in our lives is found in at least three places that we just confessed with the Heidelberg Catechism. It's found in the world, in the brokenness that's all around us. It's found in our hearts, in the selfishness that exists there. And it comes directly from Satan himself. And all of these are at work this morning to produce the opposite of what Jesus is doing. Evil is real. Evil is active. And I use this word respect simply to emphasize the destiny of our lives apart from God's intervention. Hear these words from James chapter 1 verse 15. When desire has conceived and gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Maybe that's physical death, but certainly the death of enjoying the grace 
of our Father's love for you. If you're not praying for God's protection against temptation and evil, you've left yourself vulnerable to be led away and to fight alone. And the Lord loves you too much for that. Okay, we've seen the power. We've seen the need to respect that power. Now, let's recognize the plan that our enemy has. Understanding that ultimately this is all from Satan and he is the one responsible for evil, it makes sense that we should consider his tactics, how he operates his warfare, knowing, as we've confessed, that we're not strong enough to fight against him. I don't know if you saw this a couple weeks ago, uh, but the day after the university, uh, UK played against the University of Arkansas in basketball, a 20-page scouting report from an Arkansas assistant basketball coach was left inside of a restaurant and found. It was given to KSR, and that's where I read about it. But what was fascinating about that scouting report, that over 20 pages existed, exactly how to defeat the Wildcats. There was a systematic plan of this is how it is done. And in that particular game, it worked. Now, I trust that Coach Cal also has a game plan, but this was from Arkansas. You need to know this morning that Satan has a strategic plan against us. He has a plan that works. He has a plan that is powerful and effective, but yet we have the ability to know what it is. Turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, and let's look at this. I won't reread it all, but keep it open. In this great encounter where Jesus' humanity was tested... And he prevailed in the temptation, unlike Adam did in the garden. I want to highlight at least five observations from this passage from the enemy's playbook. This is his strategic plan, if you will. These are his tools that he attempted to use against Jesus, and likewise he will use against us. Number one, the enemy creates doubt. That's what he does. Doubt is his aim. He doesn't actually have real power, but he has power to cause us to question. He continually uses the word if in all of his conversations here with Jesus. Verse 2, if you're the son of God. The only purpose of using an if statement is to question that which is true. He did the same thing with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's not based on truth. It's just questioning that truth. But folks, when we doubt, we lose our confidence. Satan wants us to doubt if any of this is real. Is Jesus really true? Does God really love us? Secondly, the enemy uses God's word. You heard me correctly. He uses the Bible. Satan and his demons know the Bible and they know how to use it. Now they hate God's word and they use it wrongly. But notice in verse 6, Satan quotes from Psalm 91. It's strange to hear from the voice of the enemy quoting scripture. Now it's out of context, and again it's sowing seeds of doubt, but he knows it. Not all who quote from the Bible are actual followers of Jesus. You see, Satan is okay with you reading the Bible. He just does not want you to believe that it's true. Beware of those who teach the Bible who aren't followers of Christ. Thirdly, the enemy offers offers alternatives to faith. Look back at verse 3. Jesus had not eaten 
for 40 days. He was hungry. And with what did Satan test him? With bread. Exactly what Jesus would have wanted. Exactly what he would have needed. But Jesus' test was not yet complete. It was not time for him to eat. His trial was not over. But Satan wanted Jesus to quit persevering and give up on a life of faith by offering an easier plan. Theologians call this the lust of the flesh. And that is to have whatever I want right now. To have gratification of any of my desires met apart from God's timing, apart from his methods, apart from his ways. We are all prone to be susceptible to an easier plan. Fourth, the enemy seeks to use God's power wrongly. Look back at verses 5 and 6. These verses are fascinating. Satan essentially tells Jesus to jump off the temple and hope that God will rescue him. It's a ridiculous suggestion to ask for a miracle that served for no purpose whatsoever. This is the lust of pride. It's to ask for God to do something that doesn't bring glory to him. We're prone to do the same thing all the time, to ask God to do something that might, might look good for us, but is not part of God's plan. But then lastly, and this is the tough one, the enemy uses the charm and deception of worldly wealth to create distraction in us. The last point here is the lust of the eyes. This is the appeal that worldly riches will fill our ultimate heart's desires. Verse 8, Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and promised that they could all be his. Think about how much power Satan actually had at that moment. And of course, Jesus could see through his lies and deceptions. He could see through the temporary and focus on the eternal. And he could resist the devil. But notice the appeal was there. The appeal is there for all of us. In our lives, if we have the opportunity or if we just daydream about the opportunity, we are prone to think the goods of this world will satisfy something inside of us like nothing else. And when that happens, we will be prone to move away from a life of faith. Back many years ago, when I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, I worked with two extraordinary young men. Extraordinary young men. As college students, they were the MCs at our large New Year's conference. They didn't go to the school here locally, but when we had our regional time together, they were always there as the MCs. They could entertain, they could motivate crowds of thousands of college students. They were so good. I mean, so good. They were funny, they were clever, they were engaging, they were talented, they were gifted, they were godly. They graduated from their school, crew asked them to join the staff of, of, of our ministry, for them to come on board and join with us to raise their support and uh, minister to college students full-time with their occupation. And they did. Both of them and their wives uh, joined our staff, raised their support, and they spent nearly a decade with us, working alongside of us throughout this part of the country, talking to students about Christ. They put together this sort of comedy routine, if you will, and they would go from campus to campus, 
and huge crowds would come. And their niche as they shared their faith in Christ as part of that is that they would teach people afterwards how they could be trained to share their faith with other students. And it was good. And it was effective. One time when they traveled through Kentucky, they stayed at our home on one of their trips. They didn't have money for hotels. They stayed with us. They spoke at Transylvania one night. They spoke at Center College one night. And they told people about the Lord. And then they trained people how to share their faith. These guys were so gifted that with the advancement of technology in the early 2000s, their craft became known far beyond the walls of campus ministry. Over time, they were asked to start making commercials and other things in media and non-ministry jobs. And again, total all-stars. Everything they did was so well done. And soon, even Hollywood discovered them. Their families moved to L.A. We who had seen them grow up were so proud of them. We loved it. We got to see the whole thing take off. The night they were on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, we all just laughed. Like, look what has happened to them. Their act coincided with the growth of YouTube for how many years ago, and they became ridiculously wealthy. They became ridiculously famous, and they became incredibly powerful. And as their fame grew... Their interest in God's kingdom seemed to waver. None of the crew folks heard from them as their work had really turned more into comedy. Until just a few years ago, both of these wonderful guys released a podcast stating how wrong they had been about Jesus, how wrong they had been about God's word, how wrong they had been about faith in Christ, how wrong they had been about truth. How wrong they had been about everything. And as they deconstructed their faith in Christ publicly, their fame, their wealth, and their power only grew more and more. And now, they actively attempt to cause others to question their faith and to abandon their first love. They are evangelists against Jesus. I hate this story. I hate it because it's true and because I love those guys. Two wonderful men and their families no longer enjoying the kingdom of Jesus. No longer living by faith. No longer trusting the Lord for their daily bread. No longer caring about forgiveness. No longer seeking to forgive others. Now fame is all they are about. And they must embrace more and more evil to keep their thing going. All the while, completely distracted from the one who loved them, the one who gave them the ability to do anything, and the one who even gave them breath. How did that happen? It happened because as people, we are weak We are frail. We do not have the ability to fight without Christ. We are susceptible to abandon our faith and to turn to something else. When the enemy causes doubt in his word, in his power, in his promises, in his goodness, we're susceptible. 
He can make earthly goods look so appealing, we will trade our faith in him for anything. Do you see what the enemy aims to do? Do you see the power of doubt? That's why we respect the power. Do you see his plan? He wants you to question whether or not the Lord loves you. I ask you this morning, church, what are you doubting today? Please know your enemy has a plan for your life. He wants you to lose your joy that Jesus is the real, true, good king. All right, we've seen the enemy's power. We've seen his plan. Now, let's have some good news. Let's receive the victory that is our Savior. We know that God answers all those prayers which match his holy will. Thus, if Jesus taught us to pray this prayer and ask for his help to fight against evil, then guess what? He's going to do that very thing. He will help us. Meaning this phrase, deliver us from evil. Folks, this is a prayer of assurance. This is a prayer of confidence. This is a prayer of boldness. We don't have to live in perpetual fear of Satan and his minions. This is not a prayer of anxiety. This is a prayer of power. This is a prayer of hope. This is a prayer of confidence. This is praying to the one who gives us the power to fight all forces of evil. I have to ask this question. But did you notice who won the showdown between Jesus and Satan? Did you notice who won? Did you notice the outcome? Look back at verse 11. The devil left him. Like the coward he is, he left Jesus. Jesus' arsenal against him was a repeated refrain of God's word against every lie Satan tempted him with. And Satan had nothing left to attack. He had no answer. Jesus kept quoting scripture and eventually the enemy cowered away. And you may say this morning, well, that was Jesus. What about me? And friend, that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your Bible says this, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Friends, who is in you? It is this same Jesus. He is the one who is alive inside of you. This is the power that you have. Hear this from James chapter 4 verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee. Jesus gives you that much power to fight and to defeat evil. This is a prayer of confidence. So whether this morning your life is in a place of blessing or if your life is in a place of need, you have the power to believe that your God Your father is strong and he loves you and he can do all of his holy will. You have the power to receive all that he has for you. You have the power to trust. You have the power to abide. Jesus is alive inside of you. Did you notice in that passage? Jesus' motivation was one thing. With the bread, with the miracles, with the wealth, with the power... All that Satan wanted Jesus to do was to do anything except go to the cross. Because if Jesus went to the cross, then Satan was defeated forever. And he could not keep him off the cross. When Jesus resisted the tempter, went to the cross for us, 
We now have him. We have his strength. Henry Blackaby was a great preacher from a couple decades ago. He wrote a book in the 1980s called Experiencing God. Some of you may remember that from a few years back. I heard him preach a sermon one time, and he said this about spiritual warfare, and I loved it. He said, I spend 0% of my time thinking about the devil, and I spend 100% of my time worshiping the Savior. This morning after we take communion, we will sing this great hymn of Martin Luther, The Mighty Fortress. And we will sing of the reality that yes, this world is filled with devils. And yes, his rage is sure. But there is one little word that will fail him. And that word is above all earthly powers. And it is Jesus and he is our strength. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and ask that the Lord will prepare our hearts to come around his table and we will conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Oh God, we we ask again this week as we prepare to come to the table that you would remind us afresh of the good news of Jesus. We thank you that we are strong because you're strong. Help us to see our weakness, but help us to dwell in the strength that is Jesus. And now we pray, Lord, as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.